life together. So we're glad you're with us. If you're watching online today, thanks for joining us. We are continuing our series on the book of Exodus. So we've been in the book of Exodus probably a couple of months now. I think we've got one more week, one more thing we want to cover. And today we are talking about a part of the book of Exodus that might be maybe one of the most well-known or one of the most referred to passages of Scripture, certainly in the passage of, or in the book of Exodus. It's the Ten Commandments. So what we're going to do is have you all list them off because I know you got them all memorized. There's times where I'm like, do I have them all memorized? I kind of get three and four and five, the order of those mixed up, and some of them get a little, little confusing in there. We're going to go through them, and really what we want to do is this. And this is kind of just setting the, the table for what we're going to talk about today. If you know the Bible, you know that there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Really a better way of describing those, a better translated word than the word testament would be covenant. It's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This would be the original idea. The Old Covenant, everything in the Old Testament is before Jesus. And the Ten Commandments are a big part of that. God invited the nation of Israel. He delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. But then also he said, here's, here's how we're going to do this. This is you being my people. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We're going to have a covenant relationship with each other. And this is going to be based on the rules and the law. And so God would say to them, here's ten rules. And in addition to the ten commandments, there was the part of the larger law. This, there was like 600 different rules throughout the Old Testament not just the Ten Commandments, but this was basically the introduction of the old covenant between God and the nation of Israel. It's going to be about you following the rules, and then we're going to go from there. Now, the new covenant, the New Testament, is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus came and said, I'm bringing a new covenant, a new way of doing things, and it's not going to be based on following the rules. It's going to be based on the fact that Jesus died, shed his blood, as a perfect sinless man and shed his blood for our sins once and for all and rose again. And so now, even if we mess up on one of the covenants or one of the commandments, we know salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's not based on us following all the rules. Perhaps you have been um, faced with a very rule-based Christianity in your past. Maybe that's the, the, the home you grew up in. Maybe that's the church you were a part of. Maybe people have come to you and said, well, you need to believe in Jesus and here's all the things you're doing wrong. And it was a very kind of condemnation, rule-based faith. I'm here to say the new covenant is good news for a reason. It is not based on us doing anything. It is based on what Jesus has done for us. So that's kind of the basic foundation we want to build on today. We're going to read through these Ten Commandments with this idea in mind. We're new covenant believers. So what do we do with the Old Testament? What do we do with these Ten Commandments? Are they still valid? Should we still try to adhere to them? I mean, they seem like good ideas. Are we still responsible as followers of Jesus to obey the rules? How does that work? We all kind of trip through this a little bit. We see in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching people, they're all tripping through it too. The disciples, for years and years, they can't quite figure this out. Okay, Jesus, you say it's not about the rules, but should we keep adhering to these Old Testament rules? So this is what we're going to dive into today, right? Right? It's gonna, it sounds fun, doesn't it? I can tell you're all excited. You can keep a mental note of how many of the Ten Commandments you're still really doing well on. Um, all right, so we're going to read through the book of, or not through the book of Exodus, in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. Um, this is a significant moment where God gives the Ten Commandments. This is on Mount Sinai. God calls Moses up and gives him the law, gives him the Ten Commandments. 
And there is, um, it is a significant moment because God is announcing his presence with earthquake and fire and cloud and all, thunder and all of these things, causing the nation of Israel to be like, uh-oh. Because they've experienced God in Egypt where he did all these things and wiped people out, wiped the Egyptians out. So they have this sense of fear and awe. And this is kind of the surrounding circumstances of when God gives the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read chapter 20, verse 1 through 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, that old covenant was about keeping the commandments of God. Continuing on, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor to do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet, they saw the mountain and smoke. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Again, it was that fear of the Lord, that awe and respect. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So we're going to stop there. That last word, that last sentence I underlined and highlighted in my notes. The whole point of this, God is saying, I'm here so that you will have the fear of God and you will keep from sinning. If there was a way to summarize the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments, God's relationship with Israel, it was that. Keep you from sinning. Let's keep everybody from sinning and things are going to go well. It was a sin avoidance uh, priority. Not just you. Everyone would individually be like, okay, I'm going to keep myself from sinning. And then it was other people as well. we got to keep other people from sinning too. This was the old covenant in a nutshell. Avoiding sin and keep other people from sinning. Now, if you know the story of the Bible, you'll know the answer to this question. How did they do at that? How did that go for them? Not great. It was like maybe a half an hour before they were building the golden or making the golden calf and and worshiping an idol. The whole story of the New Testament is Israel falling short of the commands God has given them, right? All these rules, all these expectations, Israel never really like nailed it. It was always falling short. There were seasons where they were more devoted to God, seasons when they were less devoted for God to God. 
But it was this covenant that Israel could never keep perfectly. So I wonder if they did so poorly at that, God would have known they were going to do poorly at that. Why would God set up this system of rule following in the Old Testament if he knew they were going to fail at that? Why is God setting this up knowing Israel's going to fail? Well, because I believe God said because they're going to fail, I want them to get used to trying to achieve salvation through rules and failing so that it will all point to a Messiah who's going to come someday. So that when Jesus comes and says, I have good news that the price has been paid, it will feel like a, ah, this is desirable. This is something new. We have tried to obey all the rules and we just can't do it. And that is the whole point is we can't do it. But Jesus did it for us. And this is what the whole point of the Old Testament was. It points to Jesus. It points to a Savior who says we've all fallen short. We can't fix it but he has provided a way, right? So this is the kind of the whole thing of the old covenant. So now we're going to fast forward to the New Testament. Remember, the question I asked earlier is, okay, now in New Covenant, New Testament believers, what do we do with these commandments? Should we still follow them? Should we still care what the Old Testament says? There's a lot of rules in there. Some of them we say, yeah, let's keep those, and some of them we're like, oh, that's just for the Old Testament. How do we navigate through this? Well, Jesus leads the way for us. And here's kind of our main motto is this. As followers of Jesus, if we ever wonder what we should do, well, we look to what Jesus did. How did Jesus do this? That should be our model for how we should do this as followers of Jesus. So when Jesus is ministering in the Gospels, when he's teaching, when he's healing people, performing miracles, he refers to the Old Testament a lot. He doesn't ignore it. And he doesn't say, oh, it's pointless, don't even read it. He reveres it. He honors it. He refers to the Old Testament Often, he loved the Old Testament. He talks about the law. But the problem was, he kept doing things. The religious leaders, they're called the Pharisees. There was other religious leaders as well. But the group of the Pharisees were the, typically the ones who were in opposition to Jesus. Because Jesus kept doing things, and the Pharisees would look at Jesus and say, you think you're a man sent from heaven? You think you're a prophet? You think you're a teacher? You're breaking the rules. You're breaking the Old Testament rules. Jesus would heal someone, and it was on the Sabbath. And then the religious leaders would say, that's violating the commandment of Moses, what we just read. God gave the law. Don't work on the Sabbath. And so they would say, Jesus, you're breaking the rule. Jesus would dine with sinners. Jesus, if there was someone sick, a leper, he would touch them. All of those are forbidden in the Old Testament law. So we keep running into this conflict and if you're like me, you feel this conflict even today. How do we do this with the Old Testament rules? Do they still apply today? How do we do this? We look to Jesus because he kept tripping over this, not tripping over it, but the religious leaders would say, Jesus, why should we believe you? You keep disobeying the commands. You keep disobeying the, the commandments that God gave to Moses. Obviously, there's this conflict between the Old Covenant and the new covenant that we see in Jesus, right? You're with me so far? So this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. This is as he is getting in trouble from the Pharisees for breaking some of these rules. And this is Jesus' response, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Talking about the Old Testament, the law and the prophet, the commandments that God gave to Moses and Israel. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then verse 20, it says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is weird that Jesus is saying that. I'm like, well, is it... Is he saying there's a new way, you don't need to worry about the law? Or is he saying, no, you need to even do more than the law? It sounds like he's saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, unless you obey the rules better than the rule keepers, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, how does that work? But what Jesus is saying is this. If you're trying to accomplish it by obeying the rules, you better be way better than even these Pharisees. It's not going to work for you. But what he is saying is, I'm not come to abolish the law. I'm not saying none of it makes any sense anymore. What I'm saying is, I haven't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. This is the new covenant. To fulfill something, to fulfill a contract, to fulfill something means to accomplish the intended result, to bring it to completion. It doesn't mean abolished. It means completed, accomplished. When Jesus hung on the cross when he was crucified, one of the things he said was, it is finished. And what was he talking about? He was talking about this, this idea of trying to earn faith by following the rules, trying to earn that relationship with God. He says that whole thing is finished because of the blood that Jesus shed, because he died on the cross, it is finished. He didn't come to get rid of the law, he fulfilled it. He says now, because of faith in Jesus Christ, it's like you've never messed up one time because we have the righteousness of Christ. That is amazing. So that's the new covenant. And I hope we're all there today. I hope you have not been steered away from faith because somebody came at you with a list of rules or told you all the things you were doing wrong. That's not what it's about. But the question is today, okay, we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. What do we do with the Old Testament? Should we even read it? Does it make sense? Does it matter to us? Does it impact our life at all? What should we do with those Ten Commandments? Do we still need to abide by the Ten Commandments? So just as a refresher, I have a slide. We're going to throw those ten up there again. Now you can see, how are we doing at some of these? Murder, I think we're probably doing okay, right? Murder. Uh, but let's go through them. No gods before him. In other words, nothing as important in your life as God. So sometimes we might you know, get a little dicey with that one. No idols in your life. Put down your phone and you can answer that one. Is there any idols in your life? <laughs> Don't misuse the name of God. Now this... Growing up, I always heard people say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That was if, if some of my friends on the playground said the name of God or Jesus in an angry way that wasn't religious, we'd say, well, that's breaking one of the commandments. And I believe that's part of it. But it's way bigger than that. If we're talking about misusing the name of God, I was doing a little studying on that this week. It would be speaking on behalf of God when God isn't really saying it. It would be like saying... I believe that God is saying this and God really isn't saying that. There's a lot of times that goes on in churches and I'm like, man, that, I'd be, I'd be, I'm way more worried about doing something like that than watching a movie with a bad word in it, right? Like it is like speaking on, sometimes when people so confidently say, well, this is what God says and this is what we're supposed to do. I'm like, man, you, you better be right about that, right? I don't want to be the guy speaking for God when he ain't really saying it. It would be professing loyalty to Jesus in word only, but not in lifestyle at all. It would be proclaiming salvation, but with no intent to walk it out and follow Jesus. These would be times when we are misusing the name of the Lord. Honor the Sabbath day. 
And uh, we kind of agree with that until we're in an airport on a Sunday and we really want Chick-fil-A. And then Chick-fil-A is closed. And we're like, gah! Old Testament, Chick-fil-A. Let's, let's walk in the new covenant. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't give false testimony. Don't be misleading in the words you say. Don't say something where you're really trying to say something else or trying to deceive somebody. Don't covet. Don't long for things that you don't have. I mean, there's times where I'm like, oh, man, I'm not doing so great on some of those, right? So what do we do with these Ten Commandments? And in the Old Testament, there's way more than these ten. There's about 600 different rules and regulations that God gives out to the nation of Israel. Commandments about how to handle different things, how to handle different days, what to do with people when they're sick. There's commandments about not touching the skin of a pig or eating any part of a pig. So we failed that this week, I'm sure. There's commands about not sowing different seeds in the same field or using different fabrics on the same cloth. Should we still be doing that? Or is that just Old Testament? Like, how do we navigate this? There's one that's going to be super controversial right now. In the Old Testament, it forbids tattoos. Uh, what? Like, some of you are, oh, no. We're okay, we're okay with tattoos. You want to know how I know we're okay with tattoos? Because Christy has broken that commandment. <laughs> She's got two tattoos. <laughs> Me, I just have the, the one on my lower back. That's the only one I've got. <laughs> what do we do with these rules? Like, now, if you've been around church long enough, and I've joked about this before, but there's a lot of people that are coming to church trying to encounter hope, and they're just met with um, seemingly arbitrary, like, well, we still believe in those rules. We've had people come visit our church, and they said to me later, they said, I just, the guy said, I specifically wore really short sleeves so that everyone would see my tattoos on my arm, so I would know if I was welcome here. Because they've experienced churches where, like, you have a tattoo. You've broken the rules. You need, I'm, I'm like, well, are you supposed to get rid of them? Or how do, you, what do you, how do you fix that, right? If you've been around a church, you'll run into people, and we all do this at times, who have certain rules we still need to follow, and other, other rules we say, ah, that's Old Testament. We don't need to follow that anymore, Right? And so how do we navigate through that? How do we know which ones are a big deal that we still need to pay attention to and which ones are old covenant that we don't need to worry about? This is the conflict that we walk through and we're wondering, well, how do we do that? So as followers of Jesus, we look to him and we say, how did he do it? He knew the Old Testament. He talked about the old law. He said, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. He had great value for the commands, but yet he introduced something new. And that's what I want to focus on in the very next verse of Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is where we see Jesus begin to take some of the old commandments and really contextualize them in a new covenant, a new life in Christ that is not about just keeping the rules, but something way better than that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, right after he said that about fulfilling the law, he says this, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Again, quoting one of the commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So at first it seems like he's making it more difficult. Not only to not murder, but not be angry. Like that's a whole other deal. There's times where I think, 
Yeah, I think Christy thinks she made it good, made it through a good week in our marriage because she didn't kill me. But Jesus is now saying, don't be even be angry with one another, right? This is a whole other deal. And we're thinking, man, is Jesus making it more difficult? But then look what he says right after that in verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. So he's not making this more difficult, but look at what Jesus is doing. He's saying it's not just about a rule. It's not just about avoiding murdering someone. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's about loving other people. So much so that he says, in our terms, it would be if you're at church, you're at the altar, you're worshiping, and you remember somebody's got something against you, you should leave what you're doing, go make it right with them, and then come back and give your offering. What God is saying, what Jesus is saying is, it's not just about obeying a rule, it's about focusing on a relationship of loving one another, not even allowing anger to be in there, making sure your relationships are strong. This is about loving others, not just avoiding sin, but pursuing life. This is what Jesus is introducing. It's not just about avoiding a rule breaking, but it's about pursuing new life in Christ in your relationships with one another. In fact, it's so important your relationships with one another. If you're worshiping God and there's a broken relationship, go and make it right and then come back and worship God. Jesus is saying this is of utmost importance. Verse 27, he goes and quotes another commandment. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, Jesus is saying it's not just about adhering to a rule, but what's going on in your heart? How are you interacting with your spouse? It's not enough just to say, well, I'm not committing adultery, but inside you've got all sorts of bitterness and resentment and your relationship is a disaster. Jesus is saying what's going on on the inside is important. Don't just love your spouse with outward actions only, but don't even allow lustful thoughts to take hold. Prefer them in every area of your life. Again, Jesus is saying it's not just a rule. It's about your life, your relationships, having it come in every part of your heart. Jesus goes on to talk about other Old Testament rules. He talks about eye for an eye. And in the Old Testament, the understanding was if someone punched you in the face, you get to punch them in the face back. Equal punishment for the, you know, you pay back for what the crime was. If someone steals something, they have to pay you back that same amount. This was the way it was, an eye for an eye. And Jesus says, but rather, I'll give you a better way to do it. If someone hits you in the face, turn the other cheek. Let them do it again. It's not about repayment. If someone asks for your cloak or asks for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. If someone asks for you to walk a mile with them, walk the extra mile with them. This isn't about payback. This isn't about punishing the wrongdoers. Don't just love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those. Jesus is taking what was the commandments and importing them into our hearts so that we focus on our relationships with other people. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship with others. If we get bogged down in just following the rules, it just becomes about avoiding sin. And Jesus says it's way better than that. It's way more than that. It's way more important than that. This is Jesus introducing the new way. It's about relationships. It's about your relationship with him. Every part of your heart. It's about your relationships with others, all people. Here's something I want you to get. It's to be a slide on the screen. Jesus moves us away from a life of sin avoidance and sin policing. 
Jesus moves us into relationships, loving relationships with others and loving relationships with him who satisfied the law for us. So when we're trying to earn salvation by following the rules, Jesus is saying, I've already accomplished that for you. But now what we're going to do is move you into relationships with others and move you into a relationship with me. Relationship is way different than just following the rules, isn't it? This is what Jesus moves us into. Do you see how he didn't devalue the Old Testament? He didn't say, don't worry about any of those things. He's saying, I've come to fulfill that so we can move you into something new, something better. Okay, we with me so far? We doing good? This is what the new covenant is. Something new and better. That's every part of you. That's about focusing on your relationship with Jesus, focusing on your relationships with other people. And this is seen so clearly in one story that I want to look at the few minutes I have left today. John chapter 8, verse 2. This is a story in the New Testament. We know this as the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. We're going to read through this story. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice the different approach from the rule followers and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to read John chapter 8, verse 2 through 11. Now, all of it, before I read that, all of us have what I'll call on the spectrum of truth versus grace or make sure nobody's sinning or, you know, just love everybody, okay? So we all in this room fit somewhere on that spectrum. Now, I want you to kind of think about that in this. Now, I don't think there's anything, I mean, I think some of us are more naturally bent to be truth tellers. Like we just, we got to tell them they're doing something wrong. How else are we, how else are they going to know? And some of us go on the grace side. We're just going to love people and let God do his work, right? We've all kind of met people on all points of that spectrum. So I want you to think about that as we read through this story. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. This is Jesus. Appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the commandments, the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And here's the words Jesus says, Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. So I want you to note the contrast here. Jesus is ministering. Jesus is healing. He's comforting people. He's teaching them, teaching them about new life, salvation found through him. And the Pharisees, who are the rule followers, they'd be the ones who knew the Old Testament law the best. They find a rule breaker and drag her to Jesus as a way to trick him. So they're totally using this woman, not as a way to bring any sort of care and concern to her, but just as a pawn in their religious game to see if they can trap Jesus. It's a rule game for them. Also, I think, where's the dude in this story, right? It takes two people to commit adultery. Somehow they left the guy alone and they dragged the woman and the law was like, 
the woman needs to be punished. I was actually reading some commentaries where they said it would not be uncommon that the, the guy who was committing adultery would have been in the group of accusers. Like that's how warped it was for that culture, how they treated women back then. They were using her as a pawn in their game, using her as a, a rule, using her as a, as a point to make for their religious rule following priority that they had. They were using her to help themselves feel superior and more righteous. All of these are going on. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't condemn. What does he say to the woman? Let's move forward. Let's move forward. Jesus invites her into something new. He's like, I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's write a new story. Jesus had this amazing ability to focus. When everyone's focused on the rules and everything else, Jesus is focused on this individual. What is the desired result for this individual? New life in Christ. Let's walk away. Let's invite you into something new. Ditch the life of sin and move forward. Now, I mentioned that spectrum of grace versus truth. If you are more the grace side of things, you hear in that story, see, Jesus didn't condemn. Jesus didn't condemn. We're not to judge. If you're more on the truth side, you say, ha, but Jesus said, go and leave your life of sin. He called sin, sin. Jesus was able to do this, but in a way where it was an invitation into something good, something desirable, right? Here's a new start. What stands out to me as the biggest difference between Jesus and the Pharisees was the motive. What was Jesus' motive? New life for this individual. What is best for her? How can she flourish in new life? Write a new story where she feels condemned by all the religious people. He's focused on, let's start something new. The Pharisees were focused on the rules, making a point, making sure they were right. But Jesus, that was his motive. That's the big difference. In your approach to people in our world, you have to look at your heart and say, what's my motive? What's my motive? Am I longing to see someone walk into new life and be introduced to Jesus and experience all the good news of the gospel? If that's your motive, well, your approach is very different than if it's, well, someone's got to tell them they're doing something wrong. They're breaking the rules and we got to tell them. And we have a hard time with that, right? We hear grace and we're just like, ah, but someone still has to tell them they're doing something wrong. I've had sermons where I've preached and people come to me, yeah, but you still need to tell them they're doing something wrong. There's something in us that's just like, oh, we got to prove ourselves right all the time, right? We, we fall into that trap. Jesus' motive was for the individual to thrive in new life. So all of us, when we're interacting with the world around us, and we're like, how do we navigate through the rules and what Jesus says and people encountering different areas of sin, we start with the motive. What's the motive? We want them to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. How are we going to do that? How are we going to interact with them that shows a care and concern for them, points them to Jesus and says, let's write a new story of new life. Jesus, his way is not condemnation. The Jesus way is not condemnation. This will be up on the screen. It's an invitation. The Jesus way is not condemnation. It's an invitation. That rhymes. You could probably retweet that. That's probably what we're supposed to do in churches these days is retweet that and say, straight fire at Homestead Church today. Because those words rhymed. And that's really all it takes. The Jesus way is not condemnation. It's an invitation and also, side note, to something desirable. So if our invitations to faith for people are not seen as something desirable... We're doing it wrong. Now, that's not to say everyone's going to agree with you all the time. 
But I think what we've done as Christians, something I see in our Christian world, is we express our faith in ways that are too often rule-based. You're doing it wrong. This group of people is wrong. These people over here are wrong. They're sinning, and we got to tell them. And then we say, here's everything you're doing wrong. Now be like us and follow Jesus. And we wonder why people are like, eh, eh, no thanks. Right? I don't, that doesn't sound so great. We're shocked when their response is no thanks. And then what do we do? Because then we think, well, it can't be me and my methods, so it must be them. They're just, you know, they're evil or the God of this world has blinded their eyes or something's going on. It's just their hearts are so darkened and all these things. And we try to explain it away. We say, well, even Jesus was rejected at times, and so I'm just like Jesus. And we spiritualize being unlikable as Christians, right? We've Christianized being unlikable. Instead, the goal is not to be rejected. The goal is to present an invitation to follow Jesus in a way that causes people to say, that sounds like good news. That sounds good. That sounds like something I would like to be a part of. Don't blame them for not wanting what you're selling. There's been times where, um, I can't remember what it was, it was way back in the day, and I don't want to say anything specific because I know everyone's got the little side hustle businesses and they sell things on the side. There was one where it was like a cleaning supply that was all natural, and I remember someone came to the door and said, well, here's all natural cleaning supplies. There's no harsh chemicals, and I know you have small kids. And I just said, anyone comes to the door, I'm like, no, I'm not buying. And they're like, what? I said, well, I don't want your, I, I, I don't want the, the cleaning supplies. And their response is, well, fine, if you want to poison your kids. I'm like, <laughs> what? I don't want to poison my kids. I just don't want to buy your stuff. We were at a vacation a couple of weeks ago, or a couple months ago, we went to Arizona, Christy and I, for, to escape winter, and so one of the things going on vacation is you have to stop by the rental car place. And so I got the rental car. And when you're just about to get in the car, the last guy there is going through the checklist. Well, here's this. And do you want, you have extended coverage? I said, I've got my own coverage. And you got this. And then one of them is, well, you, you want to prepay for fuel. You've heard that, right? Do you want to prepay for your fuel? Because it's 15 cents cheaper a gallon here than it is out there. Well, here's the deal. I've, I've thought about this. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that sounds fine but you're prepaying for a whole tank of gas. So if you bring it in a quarter empty or half a tank, you're still getting charged for a full tank. So I've figured this out and I've done the math and I've said, well, I would have to bring it in on its last gallon of gas in order for that to save me a few bucks. So I didn't say all this. When the guy said, so here's where you would initial to prepay for fuel because it's 15 cents cheaper. And I said, no thanks, I'll bring it back full. And he's like, what? I said. I'll bring it back full. And he said, but it's 15 cents cheaper here than it is out there. And I said, that's, that's fine. I'll bring it back full. And he kept arguing with me, and he was mad at me for not wanting what he was selling. And I finally, got in the, I finally said to him, you're offering me this, and I'm saying no thank you. Like, let's be, let's be done. And I got in the car, and I'm like, man, it, the guy's mad at me for not wanting the prepay thing. And I know it's a scam and all these things. So I, I instantly think, Christy thinks we should just prepay because I know in the morning we're driving back to the airport. We're going to be running late and everything's frantic. And I'm going to be like, ah, oh, we got to stop for gas. But I'm thinking, I'm not prepaying because that's how they get you, right? <laughs> that's how they get you. All that to say we drove away and I was like, he, feel, he felt like he was really mad at me for saying no. We do this with our faith. We present it in a way that causes people to be like, eh, doesn't sound so good. And then we get mad at them for rejecting our poor efforts at presenting the good news, right? We've Christianized being unlikable. The way of Jesus is an invitation to new life, something desirable, something that is good news. And when it's not, we need to rethink our approach. If your interactions with the world is causing them to say, I want nothing to do with your faith, 
you might need to rethink your approach. It might be that you're listing off all the ways that people are doing stuff wrong and you're just mad at them for messing up your world, right? We need to invite them into something desirable, new life in Jesus Christ. To walk with Jesus. To allow the light of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to shine in your life. That's going to bring about change in people. And it's not like we say to them, ah, you know what Jesus didn't say to the woman caught in adultery? No, don't worry about it. You're just, you're doing your best. You just live your truth and do your thing. And it wasn't like, just love them, right? It was, leave your life as sin. Allow the voice of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to change every part of your life. But it is done so in a way that feels like good news. Not just resisting all the things that we used to do that are wrong, but new life in Christ. Victory and joy and peace and feeling whole and healed and the chains of sin and addiction that used to bind us are broken. This is what we are invited into and it should feel like good news. I've had conversations with people in our community that they say, well, I know you pastor a church and here's what's going on in my life. Would we be welcome at your church? And I say the same thing every time. Is, yes, you'd be welcome. Everyone's welcome. And all we do is we say, we point people to Jesus we follow Jesus and we do this together. And all of us have areas of our life that we're wrestling through in ways that we fall short. We're focused on Jesus. We walk together, one another, and say we're going to grow in our faith. And there's going to be times where we trip over things and we mess up. And it's not a condemnation. It's a let's focus on Jesus. And But we also don't hold things back in our hearts saying, well, no, Jesus, you can't have any part of this. This is part of me. This is, you know, this is part of my life. We bring everything to Jesus. We follow him. And this is good news. This is how God brings about new life in Christ. Jesus is introducing a way to do this that is a new covenant, to walk with Jesus. We don't strive for righteousness to get saved. We strive for righteousness because we are saved, because of what Jesus has done for us. We say, Jesus, you have every part of my life. I want to please you in every way. I want to, do, I want to follow after you in any part of my heart. I pray this all the time because there's times where it fall, I fall short. Obviously, we all do. I say, any part of my heart that is in darkness or that is not completely surrendered to you, God, Holy Spirit, convict me. I want to give you every area of my life. And it's a journey that we just walk on. So if you have been presented with a faith that is, ah, oh, you've messed up. There's no spot for you here until you clean yourself up. That's incorrect. And I want to apologize on behalf of any church that has ever said that to you. It is a we invite you to follow Jesus. And we're going to do it together right? We're going to follow Jesus together. I want the people of Homestead Church, we're going to interact with our world. We're going to interact with people at school, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, our neighbors down the street. And I want, here's what I want, every interaction with someone from Homestead Church that's talking about their faith, I want it to feel like good news. I want it to feel like good news. I want them to walk away saying, wow, I don't know if I agree with all that, but I like them. That sounded good. They seem like they care about me. They seem like they love me. I want that. There's a lot of churches doing this a lot of different ways. I want Homestead Church to be marked with this is good news. And it's an invitation just to follow Jesus. Let's do this together. Right? This is what we can do. Let's pray together as we close today. Dear Jesus, we thank you for, first of all, the price that you paid so that we don't need to worry about if we've messed up in order to be saved. And even right now, I just want to mention this. If you are here and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, to accept his salvation, you're trying to check all the religious boxes and stumble through this thing of how do I know if I'm saved and going to heaven? It's very simple. Jesus paid the price for you. 
when he died, when he rose, your price for your sin and your past was paid for. So all you need to do is receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. Acknowledge that he died and that he rose. Declare that he is now the Lord of your life and walk in new life. And if you do that today, you will go from darkness to light, from death to life. You will become a child of God. Your eternity secure. You can walk in new life. And it is simple as just saying, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. I need it, and I receive it today in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us who are here today, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts away from an old rule-based faith into a new invitation to have a relationship with you and a loving relationship with all the people around us. Help us to model good news. Help us to receive good news. Help us to walk in joy and victory. Help us as, as followers of Jesus just to be marked by, wow, it feels like they've got good news. Lord, help us to do that this week. I pray for each of us who are here or watching online that you would bring someone into our path this week and give us an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus Christ. It's paid for. Sins are gone. We walk and we focus on Jesus in new life. This is what we can do this week. And Lord, what an honor it is to be a part of that salvation story. What an honor it is that you would use us to change somebody else's eternity. So, Lord, I pray that you would just seal that in our hearts today. This is good news that needs to be shared and help us to express it in such a way that it is good news. So, Lord, I pray that you would continue to build your church. We're praying for those who are lost in our neighborhood. I'm praying for lost family members represented here. Family members of those sitting in here or watching online today that don't know you, they're walking in darkness. Lord, stir our hearts to pray for them. Stir our hearts to share the good news. And we pray that you would invade their hearts. Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes, that they would see that there is new life in Christ, that there is a different way to live that leads to life abundant. So, Lord, we're praying for a great harvest of souls from lost people being found. And I pray that you would continue to use us to do that. We thank you for that. Build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer today, we have some prayer teams that will be up at the front.